Welcome, Redeem family and friends. It's exciting to be able to come back and just share uh, some very important truths from the Word of God. We've been going through the book of Colossians as a church. And friends, this is, this, this is no small thing to go through an entire book and say, Lord, can you reshape the way we live based upon reading your truths um, that Paul wrote to a body of believers in a city 2,000 years ago? I have loved reading this book. It uh, has given me new insights, and some of them in, you're going to see today are things that we've heard before, yet if we really lean into these and embrace them, they are life-changing. And not only are they life-changing, but they are community-changing. In fact, I would use the word, if we could do what Paul tells us to do today, and I hope you really hear this, if we could be the change that he speaks of today, we would be transformational people. So this isn't trying to transition from a, a church that was doing this before COVID to what can we do. We're not trying to transition. We are actually trying to reimagine what a relevant church could be like and be able to transform a community. That's what we're looking to do. And Paul's going to be right on that. So I just need to ask you a question. So the question is going to be based upon your expectations. My expectations are things that I need to be aware of. If I bring my expectations to a conversation or any kind of a situation and I'm not willing to hear the expectations of others, there could be some collisions, right, before we come to a mutually understanding of where we're trying to go. And so this is what has been said up to this point through Paul in the book of Colossians. It has been like this. His expectations are that we become change agents and start building relationships to where we can have hard conversations. That's his expectations. Then he's going to say, and this is how you do it. You have to be able to die to yourself so that a new life can really come out of us. And that's the transform transformation place. So let me ask you this. What are your expectations of listening to this message or being connected to a church or a people group? Is it so that you can have your life transformed? Is it so that we can actually change, be the change, bring the change, and actually talk about hard stuff that really matters. That's where it's going today. And so you're going to notice that in Colossians chapter 3, it's going to begin with what I call the big if. It's going to say something like this, if this is true, and the bottom line is it is true, then this is what's going to need to happen. So I appreciate the fact that uh, Paul's going to make sure that we get down and dirty, that we actually do this stuff that he's talking about. So if we really want to move forward, if our expectation is to be changed, to bring change, if our expectation is to be transformed and be agents of being able to bring that to the community, then these things are going to have to take place. But let me ask you uh, about how you feel about change. You know, it's kind of interesting because our disposition, our expectation of change even uh, can impact the way that we have a meaningful uh, conversation and connection with other people. So I like change, not everybody does. And one of the things that I notice about my willingness to change is that I actually believe that my life, even when I'm at my best, isn't what it could be. And I'm not that it's not that I'm discontent with where I'm at. I'm very grateful of where I'm at. But there's always something inside of me that wants to go further up and further in. Or if I'm experiencing success, I want to be able to share that with other people. And so there's always a willingness to grow and to change. I found this, you know, that maybe I have a little bit higher expectation of change than most people. I found it right up at the beginning in my, the first church that I pastored. And I just want to vent for a little bit. And it's really not about the 
the church or the lack of uh, ability to see the church change because the church at the uh, Port Angeles, Washington changed a lot and it was amazing. And I got to grow a lot and change a lot through it. But when I first went there, there was inter it was interesting. It was the very first wedding I did. And so I went to this couple and I was doing premarital counseling. I felt really good about it. I said, you know, here's the truth of what marriage is going to be. Two people are going to become one. You have all these experiences and perspectives and you have them. We're male and we're female, but we're creating the image of God. We're going to come together and, and we're going to be able to change each other so that you can have a marvelous, better you. And the guy looked at me and he said, what are you talking about? We've, we've talked about this. We're not desiring that either of us should change. In fact, we love each other so much that we're not expecting the other person to change. And I remember thinking, wow, uh, that, that kind of sounds good, but I'd been married a few years. It doesn't really work that way. You can't come together and not expect change, especially if you're getting real, if you're being open and honest and growing, because we will not grow outside of change. So anyway, we went through the rest of the uh, counseling. We came to the beautiful day of the ceremony, and it was interesting. Uh, I'm performing uh, the ceremony, and we come to that place where we talk about sharing our vows, and then we sh they shared their vows. They made a uh, commitment to be blessed, and in the blessing, I prayed, you know, Lord, help these two to become one, bless them. And uh, at that conclusion, you know, I then would, I then said, and you may now kiss the bride. And it was so uh, weird what happened after, at that point. At that point, the guy literally, he just starts mauling her. Uh, I don't know how to say it any less. He's like, tongues are everywhere. I'm standing there, they're here and here. And it is like, oh yeah, they're becoming one, all right. This is disgusting. I'm actually thinking, is there a bucket of cold water to pour in this couple? It was the most embarrassing thing. I mean, my ears were red and melting off. And then I just didn't even know, what, what do you do like that? And so finally, somebody from the audience, in the middle of the audience, this is a pretty good-sized church, yells out, he said, kiss her, not maul her. And I remember thinking, you know what, it'll be interesting to see how this marriage moves forward. Uh, and then, and I kid you not, and I know I'm kind of reminiscing on weddings for a moment here, but a year later, and you just can't make this stuff up, this gal's sister, gets married as well. I come in, I do the premarital counseling, some of the same stuff. We do the prefunctory stuff. They're nodding their heads, they agree. Yeah, change is important. You know, they're taking it a little bit differently. We uh, agree that things are gonna move forward. We come up to the beautiful sacred day again, same church, one year later, and guess who is in the uh, wedding party? Of course, the kissy face husband and the other sister there. And so then I, I do a message, and this time I'm going to drill home. I said, there's three C's you've got to get right. Change, communication, and Christ. I mean, I made it so clear because I was trying to make sure that the couple from a year ago got, got a second dose of it. And so in the middle of the message, then I go from change to communication. The guy that's getting married, the groom, actually says to me, and again, standing right there, and he says it loud enough for everybody to hear. He says, hey, Rev, could you speed this thing up? And I mean, it was, it was so embarrassing. Uh, and I started thinking, why are these individuals not taking marriage as serious as I do? And, and why would you not want him to lean into this message? So I sped it up as fast as I could. And I mean, I was ready to get out of there as much as they were. And I'm just acknowledging 
that when something's really important to me, it's not always necessarily important to another person. But I'm telling you, Paul's saying that if you want to see growth in your personal life, if you want to see growth in relationships that actually moves out into a community, you've got to lean into change. And you've got to be able to allow people to speak into your life and listen to the message. It's not just playing with stuff, friends. It's not like, hey, I'm going to just stay immature and, you know, end up a never-never man like Peter Pan. At some point, you got to grow up from a boy and be a man Become the person you need to be and make a difference with your life. That's the way it really works. And that's what Paul's going to hit us with today. So I'm inviting you to just come in and go to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read it now. And you're going to see that Paul's not kidding around. And so uh, hang, hang in there. There's a great message in here, but he's going to shoot really straight. In fact, he's going to get all up in our business. And you're going to want to say, hey, Rev, speed it up. Get through this thing. But instead, listen to it, see how it applies, and also see the difference that it could bring. Because here's the truth. Jesus didn't just die so that the worst things that we've done would be forgiven. He has that. He died, and, and the worst we've ever done has been forgiven. But he also died so that we could live our best life ever. That's part of it. And so you're going to have to get through some of the stuff to get to the best life ever. Turn in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to be reading 1 through 4. We're going to break it up. There's two paragraphs. Paul says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things that are on earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Man, this is a powerful statement. So here's the big if. The big if, if you have died, if you are now alive in Christ, move on. If you haven't this stuff, I don't know how it's going to hit you. But if you have, here's what it's going to look like. He's going to say, number one, it's going to be hard. Here's how I can tell you it's going to be hard. Because when you say keep seeking, that means it's not easy, right? Keep seeking what the things that are above. In other words, don't give up. Don't give in. Move forward. And even if you think you have arrived, keep seeking because there's a whole other level of life in Christ that you're going to be able to walk in. And then he's going to say also... You need to set your mind on the things that are above. So it's all about the above life. And last week we looked at it and we said, we're, we're in this world, but we're not of the world. We've actually gone from humankind to Godkind. Remember, we've been changed when we receive Christ. He's come and he's lived uh, within us. And what he's doing is he's killing the life in us that doesn't look like the life he wants to bring out for us. That's what he's doing. And so you've got to keep your focus on the things that are above and not getting sidetracked with the things that are in the world. I love, uh, I love research, and years ago I did research on the uh, marshmallow test uh, out of Stanford. I, I can't remember, you can go back and look it up, but I think it was in the late 70s that it was done. But it was a very important, simple test. And what the test was is that uh, they brought some young children in, and it was to evaluate the power of delayed gratification. And they said, okay, here's one marshmallow. You can eat this marshmallow right now, or if you wait five, 10 minutes, they did different times, 
you can have two marshmallows. And they gave the child a choice, which one are you going to uh, take? And so, uh, you know, some of the children would say, yeah, I, I want to wait. And then you would see how hard it was for them to wait. And so as that five minutes goes on, I mean, they are touching them. They're doing everything they can. But here's what's fascinating. The children who were willing to wait later on in life, and, and the data goes for 15 and 20 years, were able to achieve at a higher level of success because they saw the value of waiting. They were connecting the dots. In other words, I can live above my immediate want right now and do something that's going to be of a greater uh, investment for later. And that really, that's a basic secret. And when, when Paul's saying, keep seeking, keep waiting, keep pressing towards that, set your mind not on what's right in front of you, but set your mind, your mind on the things that are going to come because Christ is coming back and he's looking for the real you, not that I want to stuff marshmallows in my face you, right? And so it's an amazing truth. And friends, it's not about us looking at it at Christianity and saying, well, I'm kind of half dead, half alive. No, you're dying to the old so that you can walk in the new. You're dying to the old to walk in the new. So it's not half death, half alive. It's I want to be fully alive. Therefore, the things that don't bring life, I'm stepping away from. I'm stepping into the new. So then Paul's going to go on. He says, if that's your goal, if that's your expectation, this is how you do it. Now, look, this is where it's going to start getting literally... Um, Here's the list, and he, I'm just telling you up front, this isn't my list, this isn't my thoughts, even though they are my thoughts, I agree with them. This is what Paul wrote, inspired by God, 2,000 years ago, and they're not only in this letter, they're throughout scripture as well. So you're gonna to have to hear some hard things, whether you like it or not, that's okay, because we're learning how to have hard conversations. I'm not trying to convince you of anything other than to say, Paul says that if you really wanna be an agent of changing of a transformed life, then this is what you need to know. Read along with me. He says, this is how you're actually gonna do it. Verse five, therefore, treat the parts of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which only amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also rid yourselves of all of them, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you stripped off the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul really gets uh, granular here, doesn't he? And so I'm just going to acknowledge that it's so important for him for us to understand that dead flesh stinks. That's basically it. I can remember when I first went to college, uh, and you have to remember there was a there was a lot of world in me. So I'm trying to qualify this, or you know, a little disclaimer first. But I didn't grow up in the church, and. Um, and I didn't always have the highest regard and respect for people. Uh, and, and I was a little out there. I just was. 
And um, anyway, I, I go to college and I live in a dorm of 36 di different guys and it was pretty wild. It just was. And so one of, this, one of these guys on the opposite wing did something to me that I didn't like. And so I decided to get him back. So I was a fisherman, so I went and I caught two bass fish. And then I waited for him to leave his, his dorm and I saw him, he went downstairs. So I took the, the two fish, and they're pretty good sized bass. I went into his dorm room and I lifted up the box springs. You know, it was a box for the twin bed and it was kind of built on the ground. I pried it up. I slipped the two fish underneath that and put it back down and um, got away without being seen or caught. And I went back. You know, for nobody knew that I was upset with what this guy did to me for several days. In fact, nobody, I, I haven't even admitted to this day. And man, I'm a little nervous if that Mark or Greg even hear this, it's going to come back and they're going to. Uh, go Texas on me or something. But anyway, so I put those dead fish under there. Friends, in about four days, you couldn't even go to that whole wing of the dorm. It smelled awful. If you don't know rotten flesh, stinking fish, man, it is really bad. And I think that Paul's trying to say, look, if you don't get rid of this stuff, it's dirty, dead, rotten, stinking fish flesh. Get it out. It won't work. It's interesting that we even have to talk about these situations, but it's as flagrant today as it was then. So it's like the good news, bad news. Uh, this thing is not going to be, uh, sexual immorality is not going to be defeated by being uh, quiet about it. You need to be straightforward with it. And friends, it's not a judgment thing. It's not about valuing people. I think it's fascinating that it has, sexual immorality has everything to do from adultery all the way down to gross sexual acts with animals. It's all of that stuff. And so you can't sit there and say, okay, because I've just committed adultery or fornication, I've had sex outside of marriage, I'm less bad than somebody else. We're always trying to rank them. No stinking flesh stings, okay? And so when you move in that direction, it's not going to be uh, increasing your ability to, to have a transformed life. It's going to distract from it. Impurity, also known as uh, against Carth Carthesis or uh, catharsis. It's actually the opposite of making someone clean. It's, it's making us unclean. And so impurity has to do with trying to do something that brings us joy when in reality it's destroying us. So it's a mixed motive. Im impurity is this thought that I'm feeling unhappy. Maybe if I go do this, I'll feel happier. And Paul's just saying it doesn't work that way. It's not a place of, of healing. Passion, pathos, it's inordinate affection that overrules the mind. And in our uh, family, we have a, a model that says the brains drag the guts. If you know it's right, just do it regardless of how you feel. Evil desire, epithumia. This is a fascinating word, but it has to do more with being tantalized by that which is forbidden. It's, it's almost like going back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and Eve just feels compelled to do that, which is off limits. And then you have greed, he says, which leads to idolatry. Isn't it interesting that all these sexual sins are the first wave that Paul addresses, and then he gets to greed, and he says, and greed only leads to idolatry, and the rest, and all of these, actually have to do with evil. And so when we look at the dangers of greed, 
um, it really does cause us to have a mindset that's upside down and it gives the enemy evil to work evil in our lives, which is the opposite of what's needed for transformation. And now from here, Paul's going to say, look, this is the sexual stuff. I hope you get it and you understand it. Stay away from it. And it was, again, a uh, routine practice in the city of Colossae, and he was saying it doesn't have to be. Now he's going to go on and he says, now you need to also get rid of these things. So right when Mr. Up in your grill says, step away from the sexual things, now he's going to be, again, I'm even going to be more practical and you need to hear this. And he's going to say, get rid of anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene speech. Get rid of it from your mouth, he even says. Lying to one another because they're all practices of evil. You know what I think is interesting is of this is in this uh, second list of get rid ofs, it moves more towards how are you actually impacting other people? Because all these are the ways that you're treating people, right? It's get rid of the things that cause us to be counter Christ-like in building community. Christ didn't go away being mean, malice, angered. He didn't bring slander in these things into relationships. He brought truth. He brought grace and truth balanced together, if you remember the very beginning of Colossians, with the ability to love others in the Spirit of God. That's how he does it. You know, it's interesting because I serve on three different boards right now. I serve on uh, two nonprofits of them uh, on a uh, school district board as well. And it's interesting to me because when you look at a board, uh, the, the thing that makes a board work is that you have team. And if you don't have team, boards really don't work because now they're, they're uh, divided interest and different agendas. And at some point, you have to know how to build each other up to create a team that, it can, that can accomplish more than what you can do individually. And I've, I've seen almost in every board I've ever been on, and not just the three that I'm currently on, where there's always this individual that thinks he, and I'm saying he, because usually it's not women, but he knows best and he's going to fix everybody else. And as soon as you have that person doing that, can I tell you that it destroys team? What it does is it, it brings resistance, it, it brings defensiveness, it brings unfairness. And so Paul in this is actually saying when you treat people with love and respect, when you care about and value other people, it opens this up so that we can change and be the change and bring the change. And change will create momentum when you can do it in a community with unity. That's his goal of where he's trying to move us. And so if you're on a board, if you're in a church, if you're in a small group, if you're in a classroom, I know where you may be, but you're not going to create effective change by going in there and fixing folk. You're actually going to have to come in there and care about people and listen and learn and grow together. That's the way it really works. And so and this is the conclusion, and I just want to hear uh, with Paul, because he's now, now he's going to say, and as you're doing this, and it's an as thing. It's not, an, it's not now that you've gotten everything right. It's because you're moving in this direction you're going to be able to think. But look at verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. A renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. If we can't really love ourselves and love one another, we're not going to be able to come together. 
the way it works is that when you do have that love and when evil has been disposed of with its practices, you can now build a completely different uh, community. And so that's where he's moving us to. But he's saying that you're going to be able to move to put on this new self in community. And Kurt's going to get to speak on that next week. So Kurt's really a smart guy. I'm learning this because I said, Kurt, what verses do you, you know, want to uh, preach of in the book of Colossians? And he took this one. And I hadn't really even gone back and looked at the fact that, yeah, I get all the hard stuff. And he gets the, hey, here's the new stuff. Here's how you really build community. But anyway, I, I know he's going to do an amazing job, but it will be tied to community. So I want to close with this. This is what Paul is telling us. And it's really tied to other teachings that he has. So if you remember 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's going to say, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. It's this beautiful new life. And you're in this place of transformation where the old is being pushed out, the new is coming, and it's going to be built in community. Then later on in uh, Galatians 3, 26 to 28, it's one of the most powerful verses of, of the Bible. He's also going to be able to bring us to a point where he's going to say, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is so important, friends. If we don't understand how to build that type of unity where we all want to be one, where we can respect each person, whether I've looked at this, whether they're male, female, rich, poor, black, white, whether they're young or old, you have to put all those aside because we are, our goal is to be one in Christ. So we're all equal because we've all been made in the image of Jesus. But friends, the beauty of this is that we're not all the same. We're all different. And that's why we can have change. Change is when you are able to lean into different perspectives, different um, ideas, different passions, and be able to mold something that can create a greater you than what you could ever have uh, based upon your own life experience or your own perspectives. Jesus is all about unity. And we're going to have to know how to build it. And if you want to be a relevant church, can you imagine right now if we really knew how to lean into that? If we really knew how to understand the whole, that everyone's important, all the way down to each person, that we're not marginalizing anybody, but that we're taking time to make sure we hear, listen, care, love, and in that process, we're transformed. I, I, I can't tell you how important it is to me. I want to be a part of a church that knows how to truly, truly love people, that can be able to build such important relationships that this new self is going to be able to take truth, and it's going to be able to bring truth, and it's going to be able to care about each person and every person in the whole all at the same time. That's where Paul's moving this. If we had a church like that, I'm telling you what, in Lakewood, it would be remarkable. Jesus did not die for a less pathetic version of me. Jesus died for the best version of me. I'm telling you that. And Jesus didn't say, I'm going to create a church and community for a less pathetic Lakewood. He died and he raised from the dead so that he could create the most amazing 
community, body of Christ in Lakewood Ever. For rich, for poor, for better, for worse, till death do us part. That's the kind of change he's bringing into our community. May you get to experience it in your own life. Right now, look at who you are and ask yourself this question. Do I belong to the Lord Jesus? Am I willing to give my life for that cause of being changed and made new? Lord bless you, and we're just grateful for your willingness to listen, and we also want to be able to connect and hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen.